Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. And we are, uh, what are we, just over a week away at this point from the start of training camp. The Washington Commanders will show up on July 26th, start practicing the next day. So it is time to start focusing in on that, and we'll do that here on this episode of the podcast, my guest today, Washington Post columnist Jerry Brewer, who uh, we, we had a, a fun conversation, a long conversation. Uh, I always, I, I miss Jerry being in town. He, you know, was, uh, he's now based out in the West Coast and, uh, but I do still get to see him during the season. He does go to games um, when he can. And we had a fun conversation the, uh, talking about, you know, a lot of the commander's stuff. You know, obviously, we, we got into more just broadly, you know, some of the Dan Snyder stuff, expectations with uh, Carson Wentz and, and, and this offense. But we also got into, uh, I'll just say Jerry is very bullish on Terry McLaurin. We got into uh, Antonio Gibson and a lot of other components. He, we talked about who which player really needs to shine in training camp, in part because I have a new article up on The Athletic today, Monday morning. Um, about just that, 10, 10 people, I won't say players, 10 people that need to have a good uh, showing during the training camp period. So you can check that out on The Athletic. But also, what Jerry and I discussed, he's got a new column out. It's called, the headline was, in a, in a fickle new era of sports, loyalty is always up for sale. It feels like we are indeed in a very odd time of sports. Uh, changes happen all the time. In, in different individual sports, but there's a, it feels like there's some seismic shifts happening simultaneously in a lot of different ways. Not necessarily the NFL, which is a, you know, probably the most stable of the, of the pro sports. But when you look around um, the world of sports, there's a lot changing. And what not only did this resonate with me is how I feel um, these days. As a as an old guy, I guess as a traditionalist, you know when you see what's going on with with the live golf tour, what's happening with, um, you know Kevin Durant wanting out with four years to go um, on his contract, and uh, obviously college football, college sports, the shifting uh, of conferences, which we have seen before, but to the, not to the degree it feels like that we're about to, where, where super conferences are truly coming into play rather than it still being the conferences we're used to. But everybody is, you know, now it's going to be more more consolidated. It feels weird. It feels odd. And to me, it feels like it's a lot of it is built on the back of the fan bases, the, the fan bases that are the loyal ones out there. Um, but what's interesting to me about it, not only do I think it was a really good column and a really good topic, but it connects to Washington because it doesn't feel like a lot changes here. <laughs> Everybody's kind of stuck in the Dan Snyder era and and I thought it was a really good conversation to discuss how these things kind of mesh what's happening broadly in sports and then tie it in to, to Washington. So I would say I mean, we went for like over an hour. The Washington part is, is like the back two thirds of the conversation. I think you'll enjoy it though. So I'm looking forward to, to you guys hearing that here in just a moment on the standard room only podcast, which of course you can find on iTunes, Spotify, the athletic app, or anywhere you do your podcasting. Haven't asked for a little bit, but I really always appreciate when you guys have a moment to uh, drop a comment and, and a uh, rating 
on the Athletic app. I've heard some guests say, y'all, five-star rating. Look, obviously, that would be great. I don't want to tell you what to do. If you think it sucks, well, I mean, I don't really want you to say that, but, you know, I'd appreciate the honest feedback. Um, But obviously, yes, the better rating helps the cause, the reviews as well, and I really appreciate the feedback is generally pretty pretty overwhelming, and I always really am, am humbled that people are listening to this, let alone like it. So thank you so much for that. In addition, as always, you know, remember, you can email me, bstandig at theathletic.com with your thoughts on this podcast, on this team, what you think is going on heading into training camp. I am thinking about doing a show, um, as I did before, for for listeners only. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to say when, but I'm, I'm thinking about doing this. So if you are interested in something coming up and you're a little bit flexible on the dates, Hit me up at bstandigattheathletic.com. Um, I had a really fun time the first time. Would love to do it again and, and hope to do that here soon. Um, all right, before we get to Jerry, just a couple of quick things. I mentioned uh, Terry McLaurin, that Jerry is a big fan. And it's interesting, right? So J- Terry McLaurin signed his contract extension a few weeks ago. And then since then, Bradley Beal has signed one with the Wizards. And now we have the Juan Soto situation with the Nationals. And that all these are happening simultaneously. Um, effectively, the main player for each team, we can debate McLaurin, but like, you know, he's certainly the most popular guy. All happening simultaneously. And it's interesting to look at it in, in a certain ways. All these sports are different, right? But we spent so many weeks discussing McLaurin. What's going on here? Is this thing going to get done? I mean, I never really, I think I expressed this here. I never really expressed concern that it wouldn't get done. I mean, maybe I said at one point like 80, 85%, but you know, you got to give some variable. And obviously there was a lot of changes going on in the NFL, but you know, it seemed pretty, seemed like the commanders were pretty locked into keeping him uh, just like they were locked into getting a veteran quarterback. We predicted that one way back when as well. So it would get something done. But that said, he missed OTAs. He skipped minicamp. Those are opportunities to practice with his new quarterback that that they can't get back. I know they were out in California at the same time I happen to be, in fact, but you know, those are I'm not saying there's not some product product productive times there, but that's more about bonding, which is important, and less about, you know, the structure of practices. I'm sure they did some good work. But my point is, even still, you could have done that regardless. You did, you know, you could have tacked that on, not in addition. Okay, you can't get that back, but at least the deal got done. But even with the deal getting done, it seems pretty clear that the ball landed more on McLaurin's group's side of the field. That he is, you know, the you know one of the top six, I believe, number six uh, highest paid receiver now in in the game. He only had a three year deal, which presumably was his, what his side wanted, which gets him back into free agency in his age thirty year. A lot. It looks like the McLaurin side won that negotiation which is and not that Washington lost it per se they get their guy back in they lock the you know, they keep a key player all that stuff and then you see the other two ones I just mentioned Beal and Soto Bradley Beal overwhelmingly won that contract negotiation with the Wizards right not only does he get the full Supermax contract which we knew he was going to get just kind of the nature of how the NBA uh, works, but the the extras, the no trade clause, the fifth year player option, things that like Kevin Durant doesn't even have, right? That was a home run for 
Bradley Beal side. But then we get to Juan Soto, not to use the mixed metaphors there with the single home run. And now we have the report over the weekend that Soto's side turned down a $440 million contract offer from the Nationals. I'll leave it to others to get you into the details on that. Um, it's it, it, The number is huge. I guess for some people quibble about some of the some of the terms. But regardless, it's a massive number. And he is apparently turning it down. And the Nationals are now going to truly explore trades. Doesn't mean they will trade him, but they're exploring trades. And uh, my colleague, Britt Giroli, wrote a column that basically it's going to, you know, expect this to happen. Just that's kind of where the position is right now. And what's interesting is, is looking at the situations and how I know it's easy sometimes for us to compare and contrast these things, but it's really all very, very different. And I just want to sort of get into that for a second. The easiest one is the Bradley Beal one, because in the NBA, not only is there a salary cap, but there is a limit to what you can essentially play or what you can pay a top player. We knew what the number would be for Bradley Beal, the Supermax number, basically. The only question was sort of the other stuff, the as I said, you know, the other you know, quirks or perks, as you may have it. Um, but we kind of knew what that number would be. In the NFL, we don't necessarily know what the exact number will be because obviously a lot all these deals, Terry McLaurin's three for 71 is very different than the uh, terms that say like a Tyree Kill signed or a Devontae Adams and so on. That is also a salary cap sport. But again, there's no specific set amount for a position. And therefore, you didn't quite know how that would work out. But in the case of baseball, right, no salary cap. And the number, and there's no, there's no limit to the, um, to what a contract could be. And Juan Soto's agent, the notorious Scott Boris, who represents seemingly every big name player in the league, his mo typically is to he wants his player to hit free agency to truly create a market, not just a hypothetical one, to truly create a market. And that's not something that obviously Terry McLaurin's side or Bradley Beal's side looked into. Bradley Beal technically opted out of the deal he he had and was quote-unquote in free agency, but that was just to sign the deal. Only the Wizards could have given him the $251 million deal. No other team could give him that. So even that aspect really limited the the potential for negotiation, unless Beal just said, hey, I don't want to play here anymore. McLaurin, somewhat the same, right? The the, the commanders have a franchise tag uh, leverage. So they could have done that. So McLaurin could have said, eh, I don't want to sign this contract. And interestingly, I talked about that with Jerry in terms of what somebody told me about why they thought McLaurin. They told me this several weeks ago, why maybe McLaurin shouldn't have signed this contract. But we'll get into that later. Um, there is no leverage like that in baseball, right? There's no franchise tag. Again, no cap. So it's interesting. You can't. And I guess my point is we spent all this time discussing McLaurin and it's in is important to do. And I think we made a lot of good points um, for bo- on both sides of that discussion. But at the end of the day, the deal got done. At the end of the day, the deal got done that ultimately I view as more favorably for, or for the player than the team, though not that the team got raked over the coals. This was the market. I do think that Bradley Beal, I've said this, I said this last week when I did my podcast with Joe House from The Ringer, that you know, I don't understand. Well, I, let me let me rephrase. I do understand what Ted Leonsis is doing because this is what he always does. The, the owner for the Wizards is that he is so afraid of players, star players rejecting him and his organization. Of he clearly is unwilling 
to, to, to do any kind of rebuild uh, because I guess he thinks that fans won't show up or will lose interest and he needs that ticket money to keep coming in to the you know, for the regular season and then to sneak into the playoffs and then whatever happens after that happens. Not that that's not... I mean, not that they don't want that in the NFL, but there's only, you know, even if you had, even if you make the NFL playoffs, you know, you might only host one game, you know, if that, in the NBA, obviously, even just one uh, playoff round, you get at least two games. Anyway, I'm sort of meandering here. My point is that it's interesting to look at the McLaurin negotiation that we spent all this time on and then look and then look at it compared to the other two sports, both in terms of what, Different sports have different scenarios, different ceilings, different limits, or in the case of baseball, no limits. And Soto's agent is truly taking advantage of that by saying, nah, 440 is really good. We think we can create a bigger market if we hit free agency, which is obviously not even going to be for another couple of years. Uh, so, So I just think it's interesting. To put some perspective on McLaurin, you can't really compare it to the other ones, but some perspective of it all, of the three, and we'll see what happens to Soto ultimately. You know, he could still, in theory, sign a contract, but presumably that that, that won't happen. That that the of the three, if we're going to rank them, that the commanders actually did the best with McLaurin, in my view, compared to the other ones. Um, so interesting thought there. Uh, last thing before we get to Jerry, I do, as, as I said, I have a new story up on The Athletic. Uh, basically, it's 10 people that need to step up in training camp. And by that, I just mean we'll feel better about the, the position, the player, the world, the unit, whatever it is, if this person shows some good some good things. Um, because we have questions either because of injuries elsewhere or maybe they had a down year or they're a rookie or, you know, what have you. Obviously, Carson Wentz made the list. Spoiler. But here's somebody else who made the list, and it's a, not a player. It's not even a coach. And that is team president Jason Wright. Now, I'm not getting into what happened while I was away where the, the team put out a list of new uh, of players who will be added to the all-time, to the list of the team's all-time best players. And the list did not include Trent Williams, or Robert Griffin III. We can, we can sort of debate whether RG3 should be on the list, but obviously 2012 was remarkable, and for what it matters to this organization, I'm fine with that. Trent Williams obviously is ridiculous that you wouldn't have had him on that list, and you know we can wonder, was he omitted because uh, because of the way that relationship ended? You know, pretty, pr- pretty fractured, to say the least, before he gets traded to San Francisco. He sits out a year, all that stuff. Um, I don't know. Seems like the... It, it, there are people in the organization I can imagine who would be petty enough to say, yes, let's do that. But regardless, it got done. But that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about something much more simple, but much, but, but, but much more important. And that is we are coming close to the start of the season. And I have no idea. What are we calling the commanders? Obviously, there's the commanders. But what's the shortened thing? The skins, the whiz, the caps, the nats. I get it that not every nickname has an easy, shortened name. Like, look at the Giants, right? We, 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 there's no, you know, we, we don't take that name, but we call them the G-Man or Big Blue or something, right? The Golden State Warriors just won the NBA uh, title again. I guess some people might call them the W's, but like the dubs has become their thing. That's a combination of the W for Warriors and also, like, you know, wins, I guess. Yeah, because they win a lot. 
the latter part comes a bit more organically, I guess. But the point is, whatever it is, what the hell are we calling this team? Uh, this was the moment. This was the issue we all saw from the jump with Commanders. Uh, okay, are, are we selling something? Maybe I've missed it while I was away. Do, or do we have a name? I did ask with some of my friends or and fans of the team. Am I missing something here? Is there any kind of commonality here? Like, don't you want cheers at a game or whatever? You know, or on on. Uh, we have the social media hashtag Take Command, but that's not a that's not a, a that's not a thing. You know, what's the what's the thing? Now, again, sometimes these things can happen organically, and that's fine. But I feel like the organization should have something. You had to have thought about this when you made the name change. Again, we're not going to relitigate whether they should or shouldn't have picked commanders or, or whatever. But if you're going to pick it, what's the what's the name? What on earth is the name, the shortened name? I'm still waiting for this. So, uh, you know, my call out to Jason Wright Get your people on the, forget the list. Don't, you know, don't, no unforced errors. Just tell me the plan here for what you, the expectations are. Cause if you want 50,000, 60,000 people showing up at the game, you want people commenting on your team at pep, you know, on social media at pep rallies, uh, you know, whatever it is, casual conversation. What are we calling him? I need to know this. I still don't know this. I think this is important. I'm not kidding. So hopefully this gets resolved uh, soon in some capacity resolved at least by give us your idea again things can change organically but let's what's the starting point here because you had to have thought about this i'd like to know what that answer is so that's part of my article but you can go read the rest of it over on the athletic all right let's get to my conversation with jerry brewer who is at jerry brewer on twitter always one of my absolute favorites to talk sports with um i we, we after we talked for over an hour, we talked for like another half an hour when we got done about a bunch of different topics. So um, I, I look forward to seeing Jerry this year whenever he comes out to training camp or during the season uh, to catch up a bit more. But right now, here we go. My conversation with Jerry Brewer on the fragility of loyalty in sports and then a ton about the Washington Commanders. We'll get to that now here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right, joining the podcast as promised. It's been far too long. One of my favorite people to talk sports with, who uh, unfortunately moved so far away from the country, I don't see him anymore at the, the games. Although we did see, where, where did I see you this year? You were about. Well, let me say it's Jerry Brewer from the Washington Post. And wait, was it? I've lost track of my world here. We we were in Green Bay this year, and I, we were in Green Bay together. Yeah, and we were in Atlanta. Uh, we were, we were in no. Vegas together. Oh, Vegas! Yes, yes, and, yes. And then, and then oh, I we had dinner. I had, I, I had Dallas, but but you didn't come on that one. I didn't go to that one. I think the uh, the COVID uh, situation was starting to uh, get get a little a, a little uh, outrageous, so I didn't do that one. But yeah, we we, we actually had dinner in Vegas. Uh, my my memory is so shot. I'm always amazed the people who can tell you, like you know, in week six of the 2010 season such and such happened or just even what happened in week three last year in the third quarter when the commanders faced a third and two and, and, and they, and the blitz came in. I, I, I can't remember anything. So apologies. I already forgot that, but I didn't forget that. I enjoy talking to you and I'm excited to do that again. So w- welcome to the back to the podcast. How, uh, how are things going out there in the great Northwest? Uh, things are going well. I'm, I'm eager for things to ramp up for us to get to training camp uh to to get deeper into the baseball season uh, all of that because i you know i mean the summer just when you start to have those those moments in the summer where you don't have games of consequence uh 
that starts to like make me a little agitated. A hundred percent. So Greg, what is it like three weeks ago, a month ago, the Warriors closed it out uh, uh, about that. And then we did have obviously the NFL, uh, the NBA draft and, and the start of free agency today. We're talking on Sunday afternoon or Sunday afternoon, basically uh, the U- British open was today. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that helped fill a couple of days, but you're right. Once the NBA ended, it was kind of like, uh, now what? I, I'm, I've sort of just checked out on baseball. I'm not a Nats guy, but obviously they're, they're terrible. Um, my Orioles are having fun. I've kind of missed most of it, to be honest. But yeah, there's not ba- baseball. It's not like a date, a sport you get super hyped on in any given moment because there's so many games. So in terms of like the stuff to get really excited about, yeah, we're been kind of in this lacking mode uh, right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate that the Nats are so bad and, I mean, the biggest story with them is is going to be, you know, are they really serious about making a Juan Soto trade? And I guess the question becomes how serious would other teams uh, around baseball be about making a ridiculous offer? I mean, it would take something insane, and that's probably why word is floating right now. Um, but uh, that's a real antsy situation because, I, I mean, I think he's going to wind up being the best hitter in his generation. And I think he's got two or three MVPs (laughs) that he's going to win. And at 24 years old, why would you not want to do everything you can to keep him? Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's a whole other situation. And and you know, what's funny about that? Like Jerry, first of all, Jerry wrote a column titled in a fickle new era of sports loyalty is always up for sale. And that's why I reached out to him because I really want to get into that. This isn't directly about, the commanders where I typically try to focus, but it's sort of where we are in sports. And obviously we're, we're there's so many different avenues right now. You can talk about uh, college football or college sports, the uh, consolidation into these two super conferences. We can talk about the live golf tour. Uh, we could talk about uh, individual players like Kevin Durant um, wanting out. And obviously teams are involved too. You, you know, like, so ha- have you, you, you're a West coast guy. Have you been, have you felt, have you been in many earthquakes? Uh, no, I haven't been in many, not, 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 not the big one. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I mean, I felt the ground shake. So I remember a few years ago, there was the one here relatively minor, but it was super odd. And I remember it happening and like, it feels very, it felt very weird for five, 10 seconds. The under your feet under your feet was unstable. And that's an incredibly odd feeling to have. And I understand beyond the fact of potential damage and 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 getting hurt and things that is just an unnerving feeling and it feels like this is where we're kind of at in sports broadly uh when it comes to all the things i I just sort of mentioned with these other sports and and sort of the not knowing exactly where where sports are going and and i'll tie this into the commanders in, in in a bit here but um that's what i think sort of i mean i love all of your columns but this is what this one i think it was so many different things happening I mentioned to you that I was out in Los Angeles not that long ago. I took off the morning that the USC UCLA to the big 10 switch happened. So I left DC. They were still in the big 10. When I landed in Los (laughs) Angeles, they were in the pac 12. And like, I looked at my phone and I'm like, wait, what? Like I couldn't comp. And it was the same day that Kevin Durant wanted to trade that I sort of rationalized the UCLA. I could not understand it. And 
I think this live tour thing is really fascinating. It's the ultimate, like, what would you do for a Klondike bar, but for real, like big money at stake, what would you actually <laughs> do, you know? And it is unnerving because we are, I don't know if you consider yourself a traditionalist. I guess I do because this is how we grew up. These were how where things went. You know, the National League has a DH, the American League doesn't. UCLA, UCLA, USC are in the big Pac-12 uh, conferences. Each have their own unique style. They're geographical, typically. Um, people, I mean, I'm not, people sign contracts. They tend to stay. You don't ask out one year in. I don't, like, everything feels very uneven. And, and, I, and I like the way you were able to tie it together. What, what led you to sort of um, put all these things together to try to explain kind of where we are in sports right now well vacation helped Ben (laughs) Uh, so so many of those things happened uh, while I was taking two weeks off and just had a chance to unplug and just really think about it in terms of like not having to write something immediately and so being at a higher elevation um, we've had all of these this is in constants in sports Um, and, and all of these um, moments in, in pockets in which there's been this instability, but I've never, I could never remember a time where it's coming from all corners. And like, normally like the institution itself is stable, like, but where, where, and so it doesn't matter that there's like, oh, like, um, something like NIL or transfer portal going on in, in college sports or, something like um, teams and, and uh, uh, fighting over like when to honor a contract versus making, uh, making trade requests versus um, we can trade you at any time. Um, like all of those things, like, you know, for the past 50 years in sports, we see those moments when, when things like this pop up. But I can't remember a time where there was so much of everybody go for your own at the same time in so many different sports. And it just feels like we're surrounded by these. And so I wanted to kind of explore that idea of like, well, what does loyalty mean in sports now? And um, who's loyal uh, to what um, and for what reasons? And, and, And just kind of just plugging away at it. And I wanted to just kind of ignite that and just say like, here are how all of these stories um, interact to me. Um, and then like, what's been interesting, like since I wrote it, like I think a lot of people have applied other frustrations they have in the sports world that I didn't even write about in that column. And that's what I was trying to get at, just kind of like touch the bruise and see how people react to, to it. Yeah, no, you, you, you did, you did a great job and you're right. Like just to use the college sports as an example, as you know, you, when, when, you know, you were here, I'd see you at Georgetown games. The big East is a very different world than it was let, you know, it was, is a less than a decade ago at this point. I've lost track again of time of, of when it went to the best to just basketball only, but, but that happened, right. There was a football school. It was, it had both. They, they, they dumped football more or less as these schools were kind of moving all around. They, they let the other, other schools go form as AAC. Um, you know, Maryland is, it was already in the Big Ten, right? They left the ACC, but it was at least as frustrating as some of these things were, at least it still looked the same, 
What's yes. was significant about it started, I guess, to a degree with Oklahoma and Texas last year, but really it, even that one, I could sort of wrap my brain around since Texas A&M and Missouri had already gone from the big 12 to the sec. But when you're saying two schools in Los Angeles are now in a conference with Iowa and Nebraska, and you can see where now it's just an arms race. How many teams can you get Is the ACC and the big 12 even going to exist in, in a few, in a few, uh, in a, in a few months backpack 12 the same it feels like we are on the precipice of massive change like the i the the even the, the basic concept of the sport will look different and then i mentioned the, the golf you know golf as well i don't know how many people care or pay attention to golf but the idea of a another i mean we have seen other attempts at league starting the usfl an obvious example from a football perspective but to see a golf tour uh, come in like this, be this aggressive, and we don't even have to get into the geopolitical aspects, although that is a huge component of this. That that's the, the sure. major pushback. But just to see that this uh, occurring, whether it's good or bad, you agree, you don't agree, you think the players are morally bankrupt, whatever. This big change seems to be coming in some capacity, and it is unnerving in a lot of a levels. Like I said, and maybe it's because I'm an old guy now, and I'm used to things a certain way. Maybe if you're in your teens or twenties what do you care like things are different right but that that that's the part it does feel like there's more seismic change happening right now than just and happening in, like you said in all corners and just the sort of the drip of change different sports have their moments but this seems like a lot happening simultaneously yeah with with, with money and sports uh there's always going to be conflict and turmoil and turnover and change that's not what we're talking about here you really hit on it the structures, like um, if all of those things happen within the same structure, that's just sports. But when what you're doing makes the structure start to crumble, that's when that earthquake analogy really applies. And that and that's what's different. Like that. Off as secondary. Um, some of the people who have committed to play are not like players who would choose the USFL over the NFL, right? Like, I mean, these are significant ones and they may get a few more. Uh, college football, college football, unless someone is able to stop this within a decade, and that might be um, very, very patient on my part, but within a decade, college football will look a lot more like the NFL. 32, 40, 44, however many teams in just sort of like one kind of super division. Um, and that whole, like, that, the whole idea of, uh, people always kind of argue for the old college system and saying like winning every game matters, right? Like, that's what, I mean, it means something because Alabama and Clemson, all of them, they got to go 12 and 0, 13 and 0, 15 and 0 to win the national title, right? Um, you know, imagine a 24-team Super SEC or Super Big Ten with all of these teams in there and all of them um, and the revenue uh, that they would be able to create. Um, you're not going, you know, all of a sudden, like, it's going to be a professional uh, type of league and your 12-0 and team is going to go 8-4. and four. It's going to be a lot more like the NFL. And then you're going to shut out. I mean, you got 131 teams, I believe, 
right now competing in the football bowl subdivision, which most people just call division one. Right. right. Um, uh, even though it's not, um, but if you take that 131 and you take it down to like 40, like what happens to the other 90, 85, 90 programs? Um, do they form some other thing? Or do they decide that football, which is really expensive, if they're not going to be a part of this revenue, um, maybe it's just not affordable for them. Maybe they can't balance the books and honor Title IX and all of that in that structure. And then so what happens to that idea? The thing I love about college athletics is it's regional first and then it becomes this big national tournament and event um and i would be concerned about kind of the over nationalization um of college athletics at the expense of um the regional charm 100 percent. i mean that's why people around here you know were so upset that maryland went to the big 10 it's not like you're going to they, they, they went up a level, at least financially, right? And you're playing Michigan, Ohio State. Like, they're, you got big-time schools, whether in either in either of the main sports, uh, football or, or men's, men's basketball. Um, but there's charm in facing NC State. And forget just Duke and Carolina. That's obvious. The, you, there's years of going back of facing NC State, whether it's from the 1970s, uh, you know, going, you know, when there was only one bid in the, for a, per conference to go to the NCAA tournament, there's that, or if it's the Jim Valvano era or what have you, um, you know, Tim Duncan and Wake Forest, you know, that Clemson, I, I don't, there's none of that with, you know, Iowa or Northwestern. Now, of, of course, over time, things will change, but, eh, and, and why did Maryland do all that? They did it for money because they, were in a financially difficult spot and they felt they needed to do this, which is essentially why UCLA did this as well. USC, I think was in a better position financially, but I guess they just decided it would make sense. UCLA needed the revenue from what I, from what you read. Um, and that's why they had to make this determination. And that's the thing, right? Money is, you know, not a big surprise. Money is what drives so many of these um, decisions. And just to read one graph here from your, from your story, uh, quote, everything, or sorry, everyone and everything is open for business, which makes nothing sacred. We will look back at this period as a final assault that eliminates our ability to romanticize the highest level of sports, uh, end quote. And I, I agree and hundred percent, like it just doesn't feel the, the, the same on so many levels. And I get it. Things change. I'm sure if you look back to things 50 years ago, maybe we could point to some things that have evolved and that maybe not the full equivalent of, of what's happening now, but some aspects of that free agency itself, right? I mean, players were sort of bound to teams. Once free agency happened, you could kind of go anywhere and that gave the players uh, the freedom to, to move around, which is great, but it also leads to the idea of, Oh, you're leaving us. I thought you were wanted to be with us and you know, all that type of stuff. So uh, it, it, yeah, it's just such an unnerving uh, proposition for, for, for sure. Uh, what, uh, I don't know what what uh, you, you said that some people have brought up some other topics you didn't even get into. Was there something else that kind of stood out to you of, uh, of another example of of this happening? No, I, th- I just think people like you put a lot on there, like um, some people uh, I didn't even write about because it, it it came out, you know, after the thing had been written. But um, another strand of that would be. Soto reportedly rejecting a $440 million contract. And then now the Nats deciding um, 
that they're going to at least explore uh, trading him. Um, and, and that notion, uh, and that, that notion really kind of hits upon some things there, right? Like you, you have a young superstar, you want a world series with this young superstar. So, you know, that when you put talent around him, you can get to the promised land. Um, you fall in love with him and here he is what 23, 24 years old. And, and, um, now all of a sudden, like, it just seems like there's, there's nothing that could work out. And like, who do you blame on that? Do you blame the Naps for quote unquote being sports cheap? <laughs> um, uh, or do you blame uh, Soto, which a lot of people naturally do and say, how can you turn down $440 million? Like you're not wanting to play, play ball. But there's a lot of dynamics in there at that. But um, the bottom line is, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that we love precocious, precocious talent in sports, because you, you dream that you're going to have that person for a decade or a decade and a half. And that just doesn't happen anymore. And I think, um, and, and then also you wonder like, why, why does it have to be, why do athletes have to stay loyal like that? You know I mean? I think about my career and I was in Philadelphia, left Philadelphia after a year, went to Orlando, left Orlando after nearly four years, went to Louisville for two years, and then went to Seattle. I was in Seattle for almost nine years. And then now I've been, I've been at the post for a little over seven years. And so I've been able to go five places and there was no big controversy about me wanting to switch jobs. Um, and well, so I, I didn't have a column at that point. Otherwise I might've <laughs> pointed a few things out. <laughs> um, so it just kind of, it, it, it's, uh, what, what happens to the sports experience when these things that we have banked on, like are no longer stable. And it's one thing when I think we've come to terms with the fact that our athletes aren't going to stay in one city. It's going to be incredibly rare if you get a Kobe Bryant or a Dirk Nowitzki. Um, let alone some of, you know, the, the ones who are a lot older, um, who couldn't during free agency, but, and that's one thing. And like, you come to terms with that, but now we got to come to terms with the fact that like Maryland, one of the top 25 college basketball traditions makes a football revenue related decision to go to the big 10. And now, even during the years that they're pretty good at basketball, and they haven't had a special year, special, special year in basketball since they've been at the Big Ten, but they've had good years. Um, and even those good years, like, and you get it and, you, and you're competing um, with Michigan State and Ohio State and Indiana, um, Wisconsin, like that, that don't feel the same as Duke and North Carolina and NC State and um, so on and so forth. Um, and so then you gotta, you gotta deal with that. And then you gotta have to tell me like, on top of that, you're going to have to deal with like my sport itself <laughs> is totally different. Like which we're telling you, like there is going to be a super conference era in college football if people don't stop it. And it's going to divide and like create this elite subclass. Um, and with that elite subclass, like all of a sudden they're going to have all the power and they might want to create their own tournaments. So let's not just think about it in terms of what college football might look at, but think about it in terms of 
will will we will we have a national charming NCAA tournament where UMBC can beat a Virginia? We might not, because they might just decide, hey, we got two 24 team conferences. These are the halves, and we're gonna have a 48 team NCAA tournament, and we'll brand it ourselves, and and uh, you know whatever they want to call it, and and that'll be, you know the their playoff system. And then all of a sudden you just, you don't have those great stories that make the NCAA tournament wonderful, but some muckety muck on uh, TV executive tells you like this will be able to like get you $3 billion in a 20 year contract. So this whole notion of loyalty, right. For all, for what, whether it's the colleges or the pros, the, they are doing all this on the back of the loyalty that comes with the fans. Like when you talk about the colleges, here's what they know. The fans of those institutions are going nowhere. If you're an alumni of those schools, you're in basically for life. And a lot of people, you know, if you grew up in the, you know, Columbus, Ohio, or, you know, Pasadena, California, you know, you're going to root for those teams, you know, pretty much for eternity. So you're going to be along for the ride. It's not like you're going to say, well, I don't like that Maryland went to the big 10. So now I'm going to become a Virginia fan, right? Whatever. Uh, that's not going to happen. And, the, and in the pros, it largely works that way. I mean, there are people who, and maybe in this era, there's a little more of like, well, wherever LeBron goes, I'll just sort of root for LeBron or things like that. But in general, people root for their teams. And so it is, they are all taking advantage of the fact that the loyalty that we're discussing that is uh, fragile and, you know, at time, you know, it is not even, you know, not even valued anymore. It is that that is the 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 point of why people root for sports in the first place. It's my team against your team, and like, obviously, this happens in business too, right? But like, when when Coke many years ago switched their formula and they went to New Coke, the reaction was so negative. I guess in part <laughs> because people stopped spending the money for this thing that they have grown to love, they switched it back. Okay. Uh, even in elections, you don't like a policy. You don't like politicians. You can vote them out. What are you gonna do here? Like I said, you can't, there's not much you can even do. And this is sort of ties it into the commanders. We have talked about how attendance has dropped, but that's only at home games. It's not, but that's also not emotional. Like I've been a fan of, of teams where I stopped spending money but you're emotionally invested or you're not, you can't really turn, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. You can't really just say, well, I'm going to bail on, on, on this. And that's where like, it is so frustrating. I think it just in general with all this, that's happening that the fans are kind of screwed. Cause they don't really, I mean, you could, we could all say, Hey, nobody spend a dime on the live tour. Don't, just don't watch it. Don't pay attention. Don't look at it, but that's not going to happen. They're probably going to look. Or don't say, you know yeah. what, I, I'm not going to, when UCL, UCLA plays Purdue, just don't go. Well, obviously that's not going to be a thing. Poor people are going to pay attention and watch whatever. So they, all this is because the one group that has the loyalty is the group that's paying all the money. I mean, obviously the TV money is what's really driving so much of this. I grant you that, but you know, TV money still stems from, you got to watch. Right? If nobody's watching, then they're not getting the advertisers and so on. And that's the part that is, you know, really um, so galling about so much of this is they don't really give a crap about the consumers, but in part, they don't have to, to a degree because the consumers are 
What are you going to do? Or, I mean, we, 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 we think about it in terms of like the generation or generations immediately um, before us, our generation and the generation or generations like right after us, right? And so I think you've got kind of a window, um, you know, for the next 25 years or so, like, um, but I kind of think even longer and I think beyond that, um, I think sports is a learned behavior, Ben, like sports fandom, um, you know, uh, classically um, passed down from parents to children, um, that kind of a passion and the stories and all that. Like, I think so much of that, like the legacy and the tradition of families um, and how and how sports and those experiences um, mesh with that. I think that's a huge part of like why we're so invested in them. Uh, and so the question then becomes, however, like when you start like diminishing some of that and then you start having, uh, I mean, I think about my kids, right? Like uh, they're, they're just not into sports like that. Like they, they don't consume it the same. Uh, um, they're they're highly unlikely to want to sit and watch a game on on the television um you know they, they want to be in motion uh you give them an ipad or a device or something like they'll watch or they'll watch or they'd rather like let the game play out and then just watch a 10 minutes highlights extended highlights to see what happened so they don't have to like sit there so there are a lot of changing things and so um I don't know if you want to change fundamentally who you are um, in your structures um, with all of that going on, because I think I think what you're doing is um, you're giving people some exit ramps to just decide, ah, eh, you know, um, my dad and my grandpa says it's not the way that it used to be, um, and I'm not really really into this, so. Uh, I can, I can let it go. Right. And then the other thing that I think is happening um, in sports, particularly with um, sports media deals and so on and so forth, they're not just wanting, they don't just care about like the ratings in terms of who's watching the game. Um, they care about like now um, they, they need, um, they need inventory, um, especially with streaming just to be able to get you on these devices enough so that they, and they don't care so much about like, like, like how engaged you are um, consistently as much as like that you are engaged and like your personal information from like getting on these devices is just as important to like your fervor in watching. And so that becomes just another way they can track you, right? Like, like, um, like if you're on the Nike app or you're uh, got your information on Google or Instagram or whatever, like I think streaming and like your personal information, that's kind of the ticket because that's priceless, right? So I think like um, more and more, like it just becomes this abundant thing um, where they're not really thinking about like what's in the best interest of the game and what's in the best interest of passion as much as they're just thinking about this is just kind of a slot to feel. And, and it, feel, it feels a little bit like, uh, I mean, like the way cities grow, right? Like you're not gonna have a lot of green space 
Um, they're they're going to build tall buildings, um, and people are just going to have to adjust to that. Um, I think that kind of, kind of becomes the concern for me that like, like all of these decisions um, are high level business oriented and they're not about the sports particularly and not about what's good for the sport and not about like what, what is most pleasurable. And um, yeah, you've got us hooked <laughs> um, and, and our careers are tied to it as well. But what happens like when we get old and we haven't passed the tradition down and passed the tradition down the right way and something else comes along because it will happen. A hundred percent. And you know, what, what's sort of crazy about this is that, you know, when, again, when it comes to the commanders, the one thing everybody wants to change isn't changing at all. And that is the Dan Snyder ownership, not in terms of necessarily just him leaving or selling the team, which, you know, I, as I say all the time, until 24, the 31 other owners say he's out, I'm not buying any of this Congress stuff and, and, and so on. But uh, the, we've seen some of the people, I wouldn't say the loyalty has faded. I just think the people who stopped spending their money. There are definitely some people who don't watch as much on Sundays or, you know, they're not, they're not pulling their kids that this is important the way it was with my, with my uh, family and, and things like that. But it is all this change is happening. And yet here it is the same old story over and over again about Dan Snyder's, you know, um, not just incompetence, but like, you know, the, the, all, all the negative headlines and he, He's also like he he's obviously running this like his own not even like he's not even running like a good business per se because obviously if it was running like a good business they would make a hundred different changes even if he stayed within himself but like all this change is happening and this franchise the fans desperately want change to happen and they can't actually get it in the way that they want and again I think that you know one thing that the pandemic showed was that. Dan Snyder and the other owners can still make a ton of money, whether one fan shows up to a game or not because of the TV deals and the revenue sharing um, that, 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 that exists. And, you know, on the flip side of this, we have Congress in trying to investigate the NFL or trying to investigate the commanders. I, I don't think they're trying to do much of anything, to be honest. I mean, they have uncovered a few things and, and that's fine, but like in terms of actually do anything there. I think they're just getting political points off a guy who's incredibly unpopular. And I really doubt that anything is actually going to come under, come of this. I could be wrong. They, they, maybe they have some incredible smoking gun. We just don't know about yet, but uh, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen, but they don't care about, I don't know, setting up false expectations for fans. They're, they're, that, that, that's, I don't know if you watch the, uh, the hearing with Roger Goodell, half, yeah. the, half the people asking questions, they, they, they a two minute thought before you went into this as to what you were going to think about and do would have been, would have helped make it a much more efficient conversation, both in terms of the, the commanders and the NFL. If you really are trying to solve this issue of uh, workplace environment, you know, culture, which is important. Why, why, where is anybody else? Why, where are the other owners in the league or other leagues? Where are CEOs of other companies? I just think this is an opportunity for them to take advantage of, and I'm not saying Dan's not, I don't, you know, all this is alleged and this, that, and the other, they're just going after a guy who is incredibly unpopular. This is a good way to score some points, but they, and, and because he's a divisive figure, but I don't think they're like ultimately really trying to help the fans, right. In the conversation that you and I are having here. Right. I mean, I get the topic is workplace culture, but like, 
even in that sense, I just think that like it's a popular thing built up because of fans are incredibly loyal and into these topics in the NFL. And, you know, it, it it's a different way, I think, of somewhat taking advantage of the fan loyalty. And, and I, in both cases, both the, what what Dan Snyder does and what Congress is doing, I just think it's going to it's kind of going to lead to to nowhere. And it's incredibly unfortunate. And the fans are stuck because once you're loyal to a team, you, you pretty much stay almost <laughs> no matter what. Yeah, I, I think it matters to an extent, like in terms of um, just uh, I think it's more kind of a, a mechanism um, to have some some level of accountability and keeping the story out there. But in terms of like consequences, uh, I doubt there's going to be anything in, in there, you know, c- congressional hearings and all of that, that, that they only have so much power in these matters but i mean uh, creating an awareness and creating kind of a warning to other teams uh you know get get your stuff in order unless you want like all of your dirty laundry aired um that's that's possibly it um yeah and then like in, anything that that involves our quote unquote lawmakers like anything that's political uh winds up being just this theater as opposed to something where where you're actually um having an earnest seeking of the truth but i think there's been some some heat and some things uncovered and some pressure that that matters like what becomes of it i don't know uh i think when when i think of it um you know just in terms of like where the franchise is headed um him being under attack I mean, at least that's another season where he can't do too much damage, at least uh, um, obviously, so that if you're Jason Wright and Ron Rivera and, and, and company, that gives you another year to try to continue to do this thing somewhat the right way. The question for that team becomes, however, this for Rivera, like this is year three. Um, and I think he's done some 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 good stabilizing things. Uh, but they've had two losing seasons, uh, even though they got one playoff appearance and division title out of it. They've had two losing seasons. He's got a 14 and 19 record. And uh, year three with the – they don't have a perfect talent, but they have good talent on this roster. You got to – you got to – you should be able to win 10 games. Um, but if I were making a prediction, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put them – at 10 and seven to start this year, they're going to have to get lucky to get to double digit wins. So, so your, your uh, silver lining is that because Dan Snyder, and this is a fair one, Dan Snyder is so distracted having to fend off Congress, uh, perhaps NFL investigation. He's trying, he's, he was dealing with his other former minority partners that that's, that's, that's taking him away from hanging out in Ian Ashburn. He's not in the draft war room on the day when the first round pick comes up. And obviously there are cell phones. I'm assuming he has zoom, even though he couldn't get a zoom to work apparently uh, for the congressional <laughs> hearing, but he, I'm sure he has some access. So that, so that is that the silver lining that because he's distracted with these other things, he can't meddle. It gives the Ron Rivera the chance to actually do what he wants to do. Yeah. You can't, you can't meddle and do some of the toxic things that he's done in the past. Um, and, I, and I'm not talking about, um, sexual harassment in this case i'm talking about just toxic things done in terms of like obstructing um competence in football operations and uh when i don't know if we like i don't agree with everything they're doing but i do think 
that we you can evaluate them from the standpoint of like whether they're making the right moves or not as opposed to other ulterior motives and a bunch of nonsense like we like we've had in the past but uh the flip side of that becomes like uh if you're if you're under heat and uh let's say they go six and eleven this year or something like that uh you start to think like well maybe i should fire the coach because people wouldn't would definitely not like you if you're um six and eleven in year three and and try to go out and make a higher profile type hire or go out and get someone who's got a sexy offensive system or something like that so um you know i i think it is buying rivera time and i think i think the uh I think the Gruden model is one that Snyder would like to continue to follow with coaches. Just make, make sure you give them um, a bit of a run, but uh, they need something good to happen. And like all of this is under the backdrop of uh, what I consider a, a failing pursuit of, um, of a new stadium, um, which is the owner's fault. Cause like who, who wants to like have a business deal with that guy right now? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's a political nightmare. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's, uh, that's obviously a, a huge component of everything that happened here. I mean, the number one reason why I would say why all the different jurisdictions didn't want to do business to build a stadium, I'm sure in some cases, like maybe in DC, they're just like, eh, we, we're, we're kind of out on the stadium business, whatever. But like, you can't, for a lot of people, you can't even have a discussion because of the negative um, aspect of, uh, that, that goes around with uh, Dan Snyder, but, but you're right. I think this is a huge year for Rivera, not just because obviously it's been two years. Yes. They won the division in the first year, but they haven't had a winning record yet going three years in a row without a winning record is typically not a good way to keep your job, but it does feel like based on Dan Snyder's history, this is when he would, uh, you know, come back in to the, to the more to the discussions. I would think again, we'll see where we're at with whether it's uh Congress or the Mary Jo White investigation for the NFL and things um, along along those lines. Um, uh, what what do you make of the? You mentioned that you thought they've got some decent some decent talents. Um, it's hard to argue that they don't, especially on offense. The, the look is very different. You know the the defensive line. All those guys were essentially there for Rivera already. I mean, he drafted Chase Young, but that was because they had the second pick from the from the year before he arrived so basically he you know inherited chase young to a degree but the offense has really turned over other than terry mclaurin almost exclusively because of what um what they've done since and that's where it's going to be super interesting carson wentz obviously the main focus there as we head into training camp what what's your feel what's your view from the outside about where this team is at um you know i know you said you wouldn't predict 10 10 10 wins but got to start somewhere so what were what's your view of kind of this group um overall yeah they're they're they're, um imperfectly mediocre Uh, i mean (laughs) you know if i had to put a number on it i'd go eight nine or nine and eight somewhere in there that imperfectly mediocre is that other than the top four or five teams and the bottom four times is that kind of where the whole league is like yeah exactly i'm so the force in the trees with this team at this point i don't even know what to think relative to the other league so it's something we complain or we praise but it's kind of all somewhat the same so yeah that that's my only question about like yeah they they have issues but so do half the teams 
Yeah, you wish you had, um, you know, the third year under a coach, when especially after you were able to make the playoffs in year one, you wish you were a little more solid on paper. Um, I mean, you, you want to, I mean, you, you want to be a, a favorite in your division at this point, and they'll be, they'll be in the conversation, uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't make them the favorite, especially with, with Philly making it last year. And everybody's in love with some of the offseason things they did, especially AJ Brown, but uh, we'll see. I'm uh, on Philly. We'll see on Dallas. Like uh, I wouldn't be shocked if, if this is another one of those years, when, when a team like Washington could win the division. Um, I think in the NFC, Ben, uh, you got a couple teams that you know are really solid, but when I start like really kind of peeling down to those wild cards, especially with an extra wild card, uh, you should definitely be in that conversation. You know, I mean, you go seven and 10, you're in the conversation down to the final few weeks and uh, they should be right back in that place. Uh, if they can't win a division. So yeah, they're right. They're, they're right. They're in this sort of like typical NFL heavy middle group trying to distinguish themselves. And uh, their big thing, we thought that after, especially after that first year that, Oh, their calling card is going to be this defense and this defense statistically looked really good uh, by the end of, of year one. Then you come and like, here they are again, like with one of the bottom third defenses in the NFL. As a, I think like their, their offense was 21st or 22nd uh, and their defense was like 21st or 22nd, um, which is an interesting way to get to seven and 10. Uh, I like the upside. Like, I feel like I know what the defense is and I know the talent and if Chase can come back and be the beast that I thought he was going to be, that fundamentally changes some things, but they still got to be a defense that plays better in space. And we'll see with Jamin Davis and Cole Holcomb and the rest of the linebacking core. Uh, I mean, who, who's going to, who's going to occupy that other spot, David Mayo. Will he be the strong side? Uh, I, I have uh, no idea if they go with a four, three base, I have no earthly idea who the third linebacker is at this point. I'm not, not lying. So, so that's, I mean, that becomes an issue for you as well. And so like at the linebacker level, they absolutely got to get way better. The defensive line has to play to the level of its talent and they have to play off of each other. Well, um, not just individuals going out and trying to get theirs, like really make it all work. Uh, and then on the backside, um, you know, Rivera's always going to want a backside that's just really solid and like does exactly what they want you to do within the scheme. Um, Got to figure that out as well. Um, maybe you get to the point where you got a defense that's like 10th or 12th in the league. I'm not sure they're ever going to be just dominant, dominant, but something like that. Uh, but I think the real upside of this team, like, I look at this offense, and this is from someone who is an Antonio Gibson fan, and I noticed he he's he's already getting a little agitated by like he's not getting fantasy love or or whatever. Um, and based on like you thought he was going to make more of a jump last year, he didn't. He's got to show that he can stay healthy. Um, there's still some things instinctually with him that you'd like to see him come around on. Uh, I, 
I tend to think because they haven't just like unleashed the entire array um, package, like receiving and rushing, there has to be some kind of like um, lack of lack of comfort in his understanding uh, of the system. Um, and he's got to come, you know, he's got to become a really good student of the game in that sense. Uh, but I think he is, is going to be a really good back. Um, and now that you, you got everything settled uh, with Terry, and that, that was a good deal for Terry because he's going to be able to come back in right at the start of his prime and get another bite at the apple, which could be record-setting money. Um, I'm not in love. No one loves Carson Wentz, right? And like, if you don't have one of the top five or six quarterbacks in the game, you don't love your quarterback. <laughs> but Carson Wentz can throw the football. And if you can get him to just play the simple game and really like just run your system, um, he can be effective. And uh, with his arm talent, like you, you, you finally, you have, um, like we love like the guile, like like the moxie and, and like just um, how good for a backup type talent Taylor Heineke was at, at, at seizing the moment um, in high pressure situations. Now what you have in Wentz is you've got a legitimate starting NFL quarterback. There's no there's no question about talent. Right. Um, it's about it's about uh, can he stay healthy and. Um, will he stick with your system and not go off and freelance and get lost inside of his own head? They got a decent line, um, surprisingly good um, compared to like some of the scrutiny of them. And the thing that, that, that I really like Ben is I, I think they might have something in their wide receiving core that people, uh, especially nationally, aren't quite, into yet we'll see what happens if samuel can put together a healthy season but what i'm talking about is dotson uh, not to be mistaken with Doxon. <laughs> yeah uh, no, we, we've uh, we've all we've all said the wrong thing at some point where and, and and as soon as we thought about it like oh no is that, that ho hopefully this is not a uh not a thing so you still wonder i mean you know health at tight end is going to mean a whole lot to this offense and and, and we'll see there We'll let that play out. But um, with Carson Wentz, I think Terry McLaurin will lead the NFL in receiving yards this year. Oh, I'm just going to put it out there. I, I, I think I think he's going to have a 16, 1700 yard season if he can play all 17 games. Um, and I think I think I think this. Dotson kid and, and Wentz has already been really high on him and his hands. Uh, just his overall skill set and instincts. I think he's gonna be a really good receiver. And so that that gives you a lot there. If you can get Samuel back and, and get out of him what you had hoped, then all of a sudden, like you you've got three and 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 your your Browns and your Sims and and all those guys that are that are competing for time and competing for roster spots it all starts to make a lot of sense. I wish you know, they had like a big, big, big um, target. Right. Uh, but for whatever reason, that's not the way uh, Rivera's teams uh, tend to play it. 
but I, I, I like their chances uh, of having, of having an offense that, that is at least middle of the pack. And so if you put together like a, say your offense is like 14th in the league and your defense is 12th or 10th um, in terms of like down in and down out productivity, that gives you a chance. And, and, and that's what they need. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned that you're, you're going bold to say McLaurin's going to lead the league in receiving early on in the process. I don't mean like even before he's, we, we knew that Terry was, uh, no, maybe, maybe it was after the draft, but somewhere before like things started getting more serious about like, he's going to show up or he's not going to show up and things like that for, for OTAs and minicamp. Um, somebody suggested to me that regardless of what his agent, like regardless of sort of what the team is willing to do now that McLaurin might be better off not signing the contract and playing it out because what you just said that like Wentz, whatever he may lack, he's got a big arm he's got the talent and he could throw the deep ball and these are things that will help McLaurin and that they thought having seen what McLaurin's already done and now having an upgraded quarterback would take him to another level thus wait a year negotiate off of that now granted he's now the sixth highest paid receiver um in the league per I think annual you know whatever whatever metric we'll look at so I think he did fine but I think it is an interesting point that like you know, it's possible we're looking at a guy um, who, if things go well with Wentz, actually goes up a notch, and then you'd be like, "Oh, imagine if he was negotiating into this." But, but that's all. Uh, but, but that's all good there. Um, you, you know, it's funny you mentioned the Carson Wentz thing. I think this is a really a matter of. I mean, it's a lot on the, the player, of course, but this is where the coaching. I think it, it, to whatever degree you value coaching, this is a coaching mission with Carson Wentz. It's been. He clearly mm-hmm. has not been able to get it done on his own the last couple of years. Um, he last year everyone thought he's going to the Colts. Frank Reich was his guy in Philadelphia. That reunion will work. Obviously, it did more. It worked more than I think people were giving it credit for. But at the same point, it ultimately imploded, and they really did have to rely on Jonathan Taylor a lot more than just simply letting the quarterback kind of uh, grip it and rip it. But if they were actually to get a job done here with Carson Wentz, turn him into a guy that people are going, oh, not bad, not bad year. I think it takes Scott Turner's profile up significantly to the point where, you know, maybe not immediately, but he becomes a guy that we start saying, Oh, look at Scott Turner. You know, I mean, who, uh, you know, Mike McDaniel, who was talking about that guy too much, you know, prior to, to anything, um, you, you know, prior to the last you know year or so, I, I think this is an opportunity for Scott Turner to be, to elevate his profile. It may be a tall task, maybe in a, maybe mission impossible, but, I do think this is a, a really going to be a battle for the coaching staff. And that's going to say a lot about what they can do um, if they can get this uh, guy turned around. Yeah. I mean, Turner, I mean, it's, it's, it's been, I mean, he, he really as an OC has not had a healthy um, uh, true starting quarterback <clears throat> in a long time. Right. Um, when, when you think about his, his time with Ron, I mean, it's, it's been, it's been all kind of like reclamation projects, um, guys who are trying to get themselves back healthy and, and guys like um, who, who are better off being backup quarterbacks or even number threes. And, and he's shown you um, with guys with uh, lesser talent that he can get them to maybe a higher level of performance than they're capable of for a period of time. Right. Like, and then, um, 
game and the game and, and film study catches up with you. Um, and then, so, so with a guy like Carson, I'm really excited to see with a guy like with that level of talent. And I, I think like they're a lot of the things that they do um, uh, underneath to really activate a quarterback, get him early completions, get him steady uh, are, are really smart. Uh, just l little things that they do to put defenders in conflict with each other um, are smart. Uh, so a little bit better talent and, and better health and better luck uh, at receiver mixed in with, with a better talent at quarterback. Yeah, I could see, I see the potential where it could really explode. I mean, it's an important year for Scott to show, to show that he's got the goods. Um, but uh, this is the first time I think he's had a deck that's um, reasonable enough to not think that you're just trying to, trying to trying to make something out of something that's not very much. So I'm, I'm, I'm eager to see, to see how that goes. And uh, I, I mean, I, I just, it's weird because like there's more talent, there's more talent. They, they have more talent on defense, but I'm more excited about the offense. A hundred percent. It's super weird how the flip uh, over one year, the flip like, you know, has gone. I, I agree with you for sure. And you know, you, you, 100% right. Scott Turner's had nothing to work with at quarterback. I think it's, you know, in Terry McLaurin's three years, I think it's nine different starting quarterbacks, you know, guys who start at least one game. Don't shoot me if it's eight, but I think it's nine. Um, but I was thinking about this earlier for something I wrote that'll be up on Monday. 2017, it's Kirk Cousins is, this, is the week one starter. 2018 is Alex Smith. 2019 is Case Keenum. 2020 is Dwayne Haskins. 2021 is Ryan Fitzpatrick. And 2022 is Carson Wentz. Like, forget the fact that the level of quarterbacks there is not that great, other than, you know, it's kind of digressed since Carson's cousins. But you can't, you can't compete when you have a different guy every year. And obviously, there were circumstances with Alex Smith in particular. And the, you know, and, and Fitzpatrick, uh, he started, but, you know, even if we just said, it, ignore the, 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 the quarter and a half Fitzpatrick played and just say it was Heineke. It's still a different, a different guy. And you can't, that's, that, that's, that's not the kind of stability that any team can, can logically work with it. And obviously that wasn't all Ron Rivera, but it's still ongoing. And that's the thing with Wentz. He's been on three teams in three years. Um, you know, yes, they have an out. If he bombs, they can get rid of him after this year. And at this point, they have no more guaranteed contract, uh, no more money on the contract guaranteed money. If that, if that happens, if we get to that point, well, then they failed, right? Because, and Ron Rivera may well be out because he's, he, he told me, you guys have questions. I don't, they traded a bunch of picks. They're going to give up a second round pick. Assuming Wentz actually plays the year, they're going to give up a second round pick next year on top of the third, they gave up this, you know, all the third, they gave up this year, they swap picks, all that stuff. They're taking on Wentz's contract that forced them to make other roster decisions. So they've already made a big investment in this guy. And that's what is so fascinating is that they have a real opportunity to have a stable quarterback. And if Wentz performs nicely, they've got him at a good number for the next couple of years, even. But yeah, everybody, everybody wants the Ryan Tannehill right now, if you don't have one of the studs, right. Yeah. And it's so hard to get a quarterback, but um, I, I do, you just can't give up and not build. Right. And I do think, um, I think they panicked a little bit in, in trying to in going out and, and getting went so early. But the flip side of that is if the 
if the cycle had been a lot slower, you would have said, well, they waited too long, right? Um, but uh, you're putting a lot on the fact that, that this is a guy who's got talent and this is a guy that we know how to handle. Um, I wanted to go back to Terry McLaurin for just a second, Ben. And I mean, he caught what, 77 balls last year, a little bit over a thousand yards. Uh, I think it took like 130 targets to get those 77 catches. Um, I think that with Wentz and with Wentz's arm, um, with a little better talent um, at receiver around, hopefully uh, a little better of a running game, uh, I think his targets can go up into the 140s. And I, like, I, I think his catch percentage. Like, I think that the biggest thing with, with Carson Wentz, and Carson Wentz isn't, like, phenomenally accurate but or anything like that compared to, like, the elite elites, but, like, he's starting true starter level accurate. I think his catch percentage is going to go up a lot higher, um, and, you know, may, maybe even close to 70%, right? Um, and so I'm saying if you can get, if you can target him, um, run the plays to target him, like true targets that isn't just like some BS pass that he's got no shot at, right? Well, like he led the league in contested catches. And while people yes. celebrate that, it's like, well, actually, that's not the greatest because he's having to make really challenging uh catches over and over again but yeah get him get him in space get him realistic opportunity so i keep i'm thinking like a year where you can target him 145 times and he catches 105 of them 110 and he gets 1500 1600 something yards something like that that's the kind of year that i think he could have with a with a better quarterback um and 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 to further you know they extend him three years, 71 million, um, which on one hand, like, I, I really think that's a great deal for the club. Um, and it gets them some money now. But if I, if I were running the organization and mind you, if I were running the organization, I'd probably just find another way to go seven and 10. <laughs> um, but kind of, kind of like reading the tea leaves and thinking about it from the the bigger picture and also thinking about it in terms of, the NFL's new massive media deal. Um, he's going to like that contract is going to age really well. But if I were running the team, I would have really, really, really pushed for that fourth year. Even if it meant that I had to like inflate that and like take it to a number that people would be like, what the hell are you doing? Um, even if it were like 26, 26 and a half million per year you know like four for 105 or something like that i really would have pushed and, and, and to get that because i think that um by you know three years and four years from now that's not going to seem like any money what's i mean think about what's going to happen to the cap i mean in two years we'll be from what 180 something to 225 million and i think it's going to continue um, unless, unless there's just some worldwide global catastrophe that happens again, um, the salary. And so I think we thinking about it in terms of scale, I think people are thinking about it in terms of, I'm not trying to make too big of a statement, or I'm not trying to be the franchise to stick my neck out there and say that this is okay. Uh, but, um, thinking about it in the ways that, that the cap is going to grow. Um, 
I really, really would have wanted to like have control of him for a fourth year um, at a good number, even if it was a little more than I wanted to pay right now. <clears throat> because my point is like when this three-year deal is up and he's what, 27 years old, 28, what, however old he is. You're talking about McLaurin? Yeah. He'll actually be, he's actually older. He's 27 now. He's, he'll actually be 30. So he's 30. Um, but yes, uh, I mean, there's still, he's still in his relative prime for sure. Yeah, um, he's gonna he's still gonna be able to like get he's gonna be able to get um a ridiculous three three year deal. Um and, and I think that was smart for him. Like, you know what? I'm not gonna be able to in a four year pact get what I want. So so let me get this, let me get the money now, and let me show you what I can really do. And like people we we realize it because we watch the team all the time, and I think like fans. Uh, of the team realize it but the rest of the league doesn't know that i i think he's top five in the league um, you think he's a top five receiver in the league yes i think I, and and i'm a you know like the old beyond you know like top five and not number five i mean i think he's really that good and i think we just haven't been able to see that uh well, that, that's because the, the part, offense is a disaster, right? If you flipped him with Devontae Adams since McLaurin came in the league, is Devontae is McLaurin the one who's being viewed as, you know, a definitive all pro because you're playing with Aaron Rodgers and, and Adams is like having to make contested catches, <laughs> catching balls from uh, Case Keenum and Taylor Heineke or that, that I think that's what to a degree yeah. we'll, we'll learn more about the situation with Wentz as his own issues. But like we said, it is more of a, of a well-rounded package. By the way, you mentioned the idea that you, if you were the commanders, but I keep wanting to get you out by the way, but you keep saying interesting things that I keep wanting to play off of. Uh, you, uh, you, you just said um, you wish if you were the commanders, you had him for that extra year. I, I haven't quite figured out yet to what degree that uh, who's who pushed for only the three-year deal. I'm kind of assuming his side did. His side did very well in this negotiation. If you looked at, if you sort of assess where, where the sort of the line of scrimmage was, clearly I think the ball ended up on McLaurin's side of the field in the negotiations. That said, um, we're not going to get into this, but like compared to Bradley Beal, Bradley Beal still way, the Wizards still way more gave up too much. I don't even mean the money, but the no trade clause and uh, all this other stuff. McLaurin's side had a lot of leverage. Uh, and then you see what happened on the wizard front with, with Beal. We don't have to get into that. People don't want me to talk about the wizard, but that was, uh, <laughs> just reminded me of, uh, remind me of, uh, of, of that. Um, last thing, and I will get you at on this. So I have a story out on Monday, just about, you know, kind of 10 players that kind of need to have a good camp for the, for this team, um, because of whatever, either like we've got questions about them, which is sort of maybe where a Carson Wentz comes into play, or maybe there's somebody coming, you know, the, we're talking about some of the rookies or just, uh, you know, some other, maybe somebody who didn't have as good of a year last year. Is there somebody for you? And it could be somebody we've already said, but is there somebody for you maybe beyond Wentz that you think kind of needs to show something here in camp just to make everybody feel good about the situation? Not that a good camp means they're going to win the Super Bowl, but just, you know, that this player kind of needs to show something that they need to have a little more solid vibe about the situation. Um, than maybe we do right now. Well, um, I mean, you know, the obvious uh, outside of Wentz would be Chase Young. Um, sure. Uh, just because of uh, number two pick in a draft where um, 
you know, there was a, a really damn good quarterback that you passed up on. Um, and then just, just to cut you off, the only question for him is we don't know when he's going to come back. Like I'm actually at this yeah. point, if you said to me, is he playing week one? I'd probably say no, I don't. That's not, I'm not reporting anything, but just talking to people. So I don't even know if we'll see him in camp, but yes, I mean, to that point, there's, you know, if we list the players who have people, the, the, the people that have the most pressure on them in this organization, Ron Rivera has got to be one. I think Wentz is probably two, but Chase Young might okay. be three. Okay, so you want it to be just a training camp focus thing. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to linebacker and I'm going to Jamin Davis. Sure. Like, it, you you want to hear the right things from the coaches and then you want it to be so obvious that the media sees it during those training camp practices. Um, he has to become a big uh, physical factor. Um, and, uh, th this, this guy who super fast athletic supposed to have, um, supposed to have instincts that were going to come to play when he played a little bit more, we need to see that, um, uh, that pick, I mean, when you think of it in the big picture of like what they did, like if he's if he's not something special by year two i just don't see linebackers who are slow developing right um like you really need to see a quantum leap and when you think about that in the big big picture um for them in that draft to go defense again <laughs> um uh it needed to be someone who was going to help take you to another level um Otherwise, like you're just making these top, you can't make, you can't make your team top heavy and like not have impact. And we're already questioning. Um, you're already questioning chase in terms of um, what they already had on the defensive line. And then you go out and, and you get another front seven guy at the line, this one at the linebacker level and, and Jamin Davis Um you're just not you're you're not gonna you're not gonna win if, if if Chase Young doesn't become a superstar like you had hoped, and Jamin Davis doesn't become a really good starter because you're you're not getting the right value out of these picks, um, and uh, if you told me that that Jamin Davis by the end of this year will be one of the best young linebackers in the NFL. Um, I would tell you, you, you have a bona fide top eight defense um, that can anchor a team that could go to the playoffs just off of that. Like before you even tell me like what the offense does, um, because I think if, if you, if you have him as a middle, um, assuming they keep him in the middle, uh, uh, being an eraser and being everything that you had hoped that he would be, uh, that that solves a lot of problems that you had um, defensively last year. Yeah, I've said that, like, other than outside of Chase Young returning, at least let's say looking like the rookie of the year version, that the biggest impact this team could have is Jamin Davis showing, I don't want to say, you know, pro born, but just like being an impact player, being a guy you can leave out there a lot. It looks like Holcomb is probably going to, get the, the reps in the middle, but they only, they only have two linebackers on the whole team right now that you could say are going to play. And that's largely because Davis played last year. If he wasn't the 19th pick in the draft last year, his performance did not justify 
keeping him out there, but they're going to obviously lean into the investment, which is, and, and the talent. So that that's going to happen. So yeah, if he actually becomes um, a legitimate player, especially with his gifts, like he becomes a huge weapon for them that they just currently don't have in the middle of that defense. So yeah, it is. Um, I, I agree. He made my list for sure. Um, and um, it's going to be hugely important um, without, without question. Um, Can I give you one other? Uh, there's okay. a couple things with, with Davis. Yeah, they, they, they've, they've toyed with him in multiple areas. And I would hope during training camp, since you got three spots and you only have two linebackers that you know are going to kind of play, I would play with all of them and like figure out what the proper arrangement is. Like, um, uh, maybe Davis is a, is a weak side linebacker. Um, uh, maybe he's, maybe he needs to be in the middle, but, but Cole Holcomb like function as the middle as in terms of like calling the defense and so on and so forth. Um, I don't, I don't think he's a strong side. Like, if he becomes a strong side linebacker, like that just means you just decided that he couldn't do a whole lot much other than just uh, manhandle a tight end. And you're just going to like, that's a bad pick. <laughs> you you don't take the, take a guy with a number 19 pick and make him a strong side linebacker in their scheme and the way that they use it. We just don't. Right. Um, but I think that they need to play with it and, and figure out and, and kind of see now, now that he's had some time to digest and learn uh, he was someone who came in incredibly raw. Uh, so I'm not so down on him based on his rookie year, but like we should see it immediately in training camp, like a real step forward. If we don't see that and he's still, he's still like not picking up on certain things, then you start to worry that that's going to be a really bad pick. One last thing with this defense, and that's William Jackson. Uh, also on the list. You know, um, they sign him. He He's a very, very particular type of corner. And then to start things off, you you don't do anything that he does well. And now, like, you you, you, you kind of saw the up and the down and all of that. Like, um, it's, it's on them to figure him out. Like, he's a veteran, big money cornerback. And there are things that he does well. And you need to tailor what you're doing to make sure that you get the best out of him. Uh, and if you don't do that, um, I don't put the blame first on him. I put the blame on Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera and everyone else. So uh, I'm really interested to see um, if they tweak. And, for, and they made some tweaks during the season, but I'm talking about a real substantial, significant, we get it permanent type of tweak with that guy i i totally agree the 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 primary excuse last year was he played man in cincinnati zone here that took some adjustment all right well he's been in it for a year we're not going to hear that anymore at least we better not so now what and he doesn't have he doesn't have to be a pro bowler but he needs to be a lot more than what he was and you know in part they don't have much depth at that position so like the, they need jackson and fuller to hold that hold up uh for, for sure. And, you know, last year, obviously the third down defense was, it was a horror show Gracious. for these guys, yeah. particularly in the beginning of the year, but they still finished, I think 31st. And, you know, I looked it up in their wins last year, their third down percent, the third down percentage was 38.1% conversion, which would be top 10. If, um, 
you know, over a full season in their losses, 54.5, the worst in the league was 49.5. Now that's not all on Jackson. We, we obviously know that the defensive line, particularly the two ends were lacking discipline. Rivera talked about that, but a lot of it still does come down to coverage in the, in the secondary, maybe moving on from Landon Collins and all that will, will, will help. But yeah, William Jackson, they definitely need more. You can't make these kind of big investments and then not, I mean, big investments will fall, don't always hit, but they didn't put, it didn't seem like they put him in the best position and then it didn't work out very well. So yeah, I agree. He needs to have a much better year. If those two things happen, you know, even if Chase Young is still a little bit slow to recover, that should really boost this defense um, to another level without a doubt. Uh, he is at Jerry Brewer on Twitter. I'm going to just get him out now because he's going to say something else interesting and then I want to keep talking. He is at Jerry Brewer on Twitter. Go read him in the Washington Post. Uh, go read this column that I've been mentioning here. And if, when you when you when you pull up his profile, just go read all the columns because he writes a lot <laughs> of uh, a lot of interesting things. Uh, hopefully, I, I have you figured out your road schedule this year. Uh, what, which games you're going to be going to? No, I haven't. But there there, there are some, some games that are a little easier for me to get to. So um, I, I've got a, I've got a couple little ideas um, and. Uh, I think you might see me uh, a little bit later in training camp, kind of, kind of toward toward the end, um, like right right around or right after their first preseason game. Um, so right in the middle of August, there's a chance you might see me. Uh, and and um, I don't think a lot of people would would are, would be looking forward to just going to Ashburn in August, but no. um, hey, I, you, you... I, I do. I do miss the journey, right? And um, there's something different about just showing up to a game and uh, asking questions at a press conference or, or listening and just chiming in when I need to versus like really getting to know the team when the pressure is off um, and, and start to learn more of the nuances. I mean, I, I miss what with uh, having been someone who was a, a, a columnist and handled the local first. Um, I do miss those little things because I think there's a lot of things that you pick up that matter that don't necessarily make for the sexiest pieces. Uh, but like in terms of helping the audience, I mean, that's the first thing, like helping fans. Um, I'm a big believer in not like whatever opinion I have, you can agree or disagree with. And I'm going to give you the best that I got based on what I know but I'm a big believer in not telling you what to think, but kind of activating your mind in a way that you can make a decision for yourself. And um, I think that uh, especially in an NFL season, the preseason is really important in just being able to like pick things out, you know, just like, have you thought about this? Look at this. Um, some things people like hate that you bring up, um, some things people wish you would bring up more uh, of. And so um, I'm really interested in that. I'm interested in just kind of looking looking at the team flatly when they're in a, a competitive mode. I love training camp competitions and surprises. And uh, Rivera's had quite a few of those his first couple of years. Um, th- those have been some of the most most rewarding aspects of some of what he's done. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm eager to, to check things out, please. 
give me a day or so there when it's like 89 instead of like 95 because I greatly appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I think the jolt to your system is going to be significant coming from where you are uh, to um, to to here. But yeah, we'll, we'll root for the best. I'm rooting for the best for all of us on the weather front. Uh, and not not that Richmond was a what uh, was it was a haven for great weather, but uh, yeah, Ashburn's got its own its own special place. We will uh, we will see what happens, and I appreciate the fact that you. I, I say this as a consume. You know, I I view the Washington Post typically competition, blah blah blah. But like, I grew up here. This is my paper of my youth, and like, I appreciate the fact that the columnist is going to put the time in to do these things and not just pop off. So I, I say that as a subscriber. Uh, my guy, I appreciate it. We'll we'll talk soon. I guess I will see you uh, soon as well. All right, sounds great, man. <laughs>